1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at lukebraunNFL. The show is on Twitter at locked on vikings you can always find this show on any podcast app you like including the himalaya podcasting app they put together a whole bunch of cool features like curated playlists based on your interests you can even make your own playlists and share them with your friends and they're adding all kinds of new features it's free it's easy to use go check it out and don't forget to subscribe to locked on vikings when you're there and if you don't like podcast apps or you drive and you don't want to be looking at your phone trying to find your favorite shows you can always just ask your smart device like siri or alexa Play podcast Locked on Vikings, and it will take you right to the most recent episode. So today, we have a a little bit of news to talk about, or to at least uh, finish talking about. Uh, So late in the night, as I was recording yesterday's show, uh, Kyle Rudolph signed an extension. Uh, They agreed to terms, they signed it officially on Tuesday morning, and now a lot more details are out, so we can talk about that. And I actually just want to talk about Kyle Rudolph all day. Uh, I I just want to talk about this is as good a time as any to talk about my evaluation of him, go really in deep uh, in terms of the ways that the Vikings used him in 2018 and the problems that I have with that and the things I hope get fixed. Uh, and and we'll just kind of talk about his outlook because he is basically locked into the team for the next two years, and then after 2021, things become, or uh, at 2021 and beyond, things get a little bit more year to year, but now he's going to be the tight end for the next couple years, which will give Irv Smith a nice, easy, cushy time to develop at whatever pace he develops. If he develops quickly, uh, he will get plenty of snaps in 12 personnel. If he does not and, and he takes more time, he needs to, you know, be kind of to cook slowly like some people did, kind of like Trey Wayne's, uh, then that's also okay. You still have Kyle Rudolph, and you can just run 11 personnel like everybody else. So before we get too into the nitty-gritty of Kyle Rudolph and his performance and his skills that he has and he doesn't have, let's talk about his contract in a little bit more detail. So since uh, yesterday's show, since last time we talked, when it, the news was literally flooding out on Twitter like as I was recording, so I had very, very rudimentary information, here is what, uh, here's what I know. So... The contract is an extension, four years, $36 million, average of $9 million a year over the next all the way through 2023, if the Vikings so choose. It ends up being a slight pay raise into uh, the 2019 cap in terms of cash flow, but removes his cap hit to the point where the Vikings have uh, Chris Thomason reported this they have like four and a half or five million dollars in cap space which is plenty comfortable they can now sign their practice squad all those problems that we talked about earlier are are now pretty much solved they have contingency they actually have enough where they could actually afford to do another extension like a small extension like an anthony harris type one uh, and actually do like a whole nother one so you, you like build rob brzezinski a statue right like the wizardry is amazing but that's kind of the advantage of extensions is that you can actually afford to bring current cap hits down in exchange for higher cap hits later, but at the same time, you're extending players and locking up players that you want. And that's kind of the whole point and why the Vikings have largely managed their cap via the extension move. So I believe everything is fully guaranteed uh, for this year, which is obvious, like it's not like they're gonna cut them at this point. Uh, And then in 2020, if they cut them, they would incur like a $5.5 million dead cap penalty. Uh, They would still actually have a net savings of like three million, but it would be kind of like Riley Reef was this year where you could cut him, but it's like not really worth it. You don't actually save that much and then you'd have to go replace him and everything. So you could consider him like 95% uncuttable in 2020 as well. And then in 2021, uh, things get a little bit murkier. Now, what I don't know, uh, at least at the time of this recording, and I'll update you if if it becomes relevant enough to do so, uh, is whether or not that's that's via a signing bonus of the size that creates, like, that dynamic, or if there was something else in the contract that made it work that way, I assume it's because of a signing bonus, which means that trading Kyle Rudolph also wouldn't relieve that cap liability. So as all this was breaking uh, yesterday, I talked about, on Twitter, I, t- I talked about, like, now Kyle Rudolph is a better trade asset because of his contract is, like, so team-friendly. And that's not necessarily true. Uh, he's he's probably worth a lot, But the Vikings would have to probably get a first rounder and maybe even then some back just because of the way the contract affects their cap. If they do trade Kyle Rudolph away, they would incur the same dead cap penalty as if they cut him. And that would be very difficult for the Vikings to pull off. So this is really keeping uh, Kyle Rudolph in Minnesota for the next two years. And so while their 2019 cap is largely squared away, uh, they will have to deal with the 2020 cap, which is becoming this, like, behemoth tangle. This is when, you know, all the chickens come home to roost, I guess. They are going to probably have to do some pretty drastic stuff to get under. Uh, As it stands right now, after this extension, they are $12 over the cap in 2020, uh, and... That's before signing any draft classes or anything like that. And I believe that's also the projected cap. That's after the cap has increased for 2020. So it's, it's going to be a dicey uh, s- slice of the offseason when the Vikings have to deal with their 2020 cap. But for now, we don't need to worry about that. It'll be fun to cover at the time. But for now, they are good to head into minicamp and play on from there. And speaking of minicamp, before I head to the first ad break and we get into the really nitty-gritty of Kyle Rudolph, I do want to mention one note. And it's that Hercules Mataafa seems to have jumped uh, a few of his colleagues. Uh, he did get some some reps with the ones in mini camp on Tuesday, and that's not all that abnormal. Sometimes reserves will will rotate in and out, especially because Linval Joseph is still recovering from surgery, so there's a little bit more room to kind of play around with stuff. But perhaps the more significant development, and this is what uh, Arif Hassan reported, who was there. Uh, is that Hercules Mata'afa has gone from the third team to the second team, which is a pretty strong declaration by the team that, hey, we like we like what this kid is putting out there. And so we'll see how far he grows over the course of camp. But if, you know, a, a guy who, like Mata'afa who comes in with, like, you know, a lot of potential, but is it going to work out because of this question mark and that question mark, it, the pattern kind of goes where when you hear a little bit of positive news that in and of itself kind of, insinuates that whatever question marks surrounded him, the the answers to those questions are the positive ones, it usually means that there's some potential being realized, and with guys that are all potential, like, that can kind of get out of hand quickly, and suddenly you have a really good player on their hands. Now, I'm not going to get too excited about Hercules Mata'afa before camp even starts. It would be very, very premature, but... I'm a little excited about Hercules Mata before camp even starts, and I know that it's uh, that it's premature, and I don't really care. It's really cool, and it would be awesome to see him come in and actually be a contributing member of the team instead of somebody just trying to make the roster. So with that out of the way, I'm going to step away to the first ad break of the show, and when I come back, we will talk a little bit more about Kyle Rudolph. I'll talk to you all in a second. Okay, welcome back. So let's talk about Kyle Rudolph on the field. So he's locked in for the next two years. What does that mean? What does that give to the Vikings offense now for the next couple of years? So I I wanted to kind of look in, and I went into some of the more advanced Kyle Rudolph stats. I think Kyle Rudolph right now is defined more by his volume stats. And, And I've talked a lot about volume stats on this show and why I don't think that they're a particularly useful tool. And the primary reason for that is because they don't account for how many times that offense passed. You know, the Vikings passed like 600 times in 2018, and so it would make sense that Kyle Rudolph, whether or not he is good or bad, would have more yards, and so using those yards essentially just says, yeah, you were in a high-passing offense because the run game was bad and was a total disaster. We talked about that last week. So take all that volume stat stuff, take the total touchdowns, the total yards, take all the career things. I mean, he's played in, in this, on the same team for like eight or nine years. There's not many Vikings who can say that, so he's going to get all kinds of franchise total records, and that's great, and it's an accomplishment we can commend and everything, but it doesn't necessarily mean he was good. It doesn't mean he was bad either, but before we decide that, we should throw that out and look at some other stuff, and there's some efficiency stats that I think tell a really good story about what Kyle Rudolph offers and what he can't offer. So on third down, Kyle Rudolph was the most efficient option. His conversion rate, he converted 12 of 18 targets and not caught, converted. And I I think he caught 16 of them. And 12 of those 16 catches were, were first downs. Nobody on the team did better than that. And very few tight ends in the whole league did better than that. That is a very high efficient mark. So when it's third down and eight, Kyle Rudolph is the guy that's going to run a corner route and and get you the yards that you need. There was actually a play that I'll talk about soon that is exactly that. He ran a corner route against a linebacker, totally linebacker, had absolutely no chance to cover him, and he caught the ball on the sideline, textbook stuff. In terms of time to throw, Kyle Rudolph, of all the receivers that had like a reasonable amount of targets... Was third slowest. So what does that mean? It means that when Kyle Rudolph is getting thrown at, it's happening later in the play. And there's a few reasons that that could happen. That it it could be because he's slower to develop his routes. He doesn't quite get in and out of his breaks quite as quickly. And that's true. It's true of most tight ends. You know, when you're comparing him to like Diggs and Thielen, who are these electric, quick route runners, it makes sense that he would be a little bit slower. But that's not necessary. It's not that he's he's not getting to the point of the catch like fast enough. It means that he's not getting thrown at until it's later in the play. And that means that Kirk Cousins is probably considered someone else first. And, and, you know, the players that are the first read more often, that's Diggs and Thielen, and sometimes it's like Dalvin Cook on screens and weird stuff like that. But when Kyle Rudolph is uh, the first read is, is far less often the case than he's the second read and the first guy wasn't there and Kyle Rudolph was. And now, bear in mind, that's not being a checkdown. A checkdown was David Morgan, who had an even longer time to throw than uh, than Kyle Rudolph was because he was the checkdown. And Latavius Murray, those were the only other two people that had a decent amount of, like, more than, like, five targets and actually got the ball in their hands slower than Kyle Rudolph did, because, I mean, think about what those guys' jobs are. They're the checkdowns. They're the ones who hang out in the flat, nothing else is open, or there's pressure, or something happens, and Kirk Cousins needs to dump it off. That's not what Kyle Rudolph was, but I think he was very often the option right before that, and so that means he's very useful in the scenario where, you know, Diggs and Thielen are double-covered, and, you know, nobody else gets open, or in this scenario where, you know, something happens and the play breaks down and and he needs to kind of be an, an outlet that still gets a reasonable amount of yards, but it means he's not as useful in pressure situations because, you know, when when the pressure comes, Kirk Cousins is not going to turn around and continue going through his progressions. He either has to improvise or just kind of fall apart, which is more of a Kirk Cousins thing. And at least in the context of the offense, his depth of target, how deep he was when Kirk Cousins would throw the ball at him, was on the deeper end of where the Vikings' targets were would go. He wasn't being used like David Morgan or a running back or C.J. Ham or anything, but he wasn't quite getting as deep of targets as, I mean, Aldrick Robinson, his average depth of target was like 18 yards. Everything was, to him was deep bombs, but he also wasn't quite getting as deep of targets as Diggs and Thielen. He was more of an inter- intermediate guy, and this is all very classic tight end stuff. So, you know, thinking about the role of a tight end as a kind of like third down safety valve type, somebody who can be a part of the progression but not necessarily the main event in that progression, that's pretty classic tight end stuff. And I guess I would pose the question, what is that worth and how rare is it? And and I'm not gonna try to answer that question because I think that's gonna be really subjective and everyone's gonna have their own opinion on it. And I don't think mine is gonna be of much value to you. I think it's far more important that I pose the right question and let you, the listener, sort that out for yourself. Now, this contract kind of tells us what the Vikings think about that, you know, the, and, and what Kyle Rudolph thinks about that. And I think the reason that it took so long for this to happen and why there was so much like public negotiating through the media and agent statements and leaks to reporters and stuff is that I think there was a lot of space between Kyle Rudolph's answer to that question and... And the Vikings answer to that question, or maybe even that Kyle Rudolph just thinks that he is, he is better at more things than that, but there are things that he can't really do very well, and we'll get into film on all this, but on on lower depth of target throws, on throws you know near the line of scrimmage where he's supposed to catch the ball, turn up field, and get more yards, he's not nearly as good at that as other players on the roster, like Diggs and Thielen and Dalvin Cook, uh, and maybe even Ir- Irv Smith now, who is a lot faster than Rudolph, But players are always going to overestimate themselves because that's the mindset you kind of have to have to make it in the NFL, and their agents aren't going to fight them on it because they're trying to get the best deal possible anyways, so it makes sense that Kyle Rudolph would kind of overestimate his own camp and try to keep his price high for as long as possible. But I do think, just looking at the structure of this contract, I mean, you have basically two years at a, a pretty good level and then nothing for a while. But the thing is, if it were just a one- or two-year extension and then he could hit the market again, that's fine. But now Kyle Rudolph doesn't necessarily get to pick when he hits the market. He he will hit the market when the Vikings don't see value in him anymore, and that will likely be because of age, and, and that means that he won't command that much of a market. So he cost himself quite a bit, both in guarantees and in whatever his next contract would potentially be. Like, I, I think by the end of this, Kyle Rudolph... Monetarily will have taken a huge hit, and he himself even admits that he's like, yeah, I probably didn't make as much money as I could have. I didn't care; I wanted to stay here with the you know with the team and in, and at my home and stuff like that. And that loyalty is all well and good. And as a fan of the Vikings, of course, I love that so much. But it is very curious to me because you don't often see players making decisions like that. I mean, you see sometimes Anthony Barr will take a slightly lower contract to you know stay at home and be with his his teammates and the Vikings and stuff. That happened, but this is a really big difference I think between what Kyle Rudolph could have. Gotten on the market, and what Kyle Rudolph actually got from the Vikings. I thought there was a lot of distance between the two of those things, and that's why a deal didn't get done. And now that a deal is done, I still think there's a lot of distance between those two things. You know, I asked in yesterday's show which side capitulated. I I think Kyle Rudolph's side absolutely capitulated. They gave in, and they allowed. uh, You know, Kyle Rudolph signed a very team-friendly contract, and one that is not nearly as player. I mean, he has to earn his keep basically every year of the rest of his contract, and that's not something that you would want for an eight, nine-year veteran of the team, not something that he would be well within his rights to demand more for. So I find it very interesting that he did that, And, and it does show a very, very strong loyalty to Minnesota and the Vikings. Love it as a fan, but I'm really surprised as just like an analyst of football. So I got a little off track there just talking about evaluation, but uh, I'm going to step away to an ad break, and when I come back, we'll talk more about a little bit of the tape and some of the very specific traits that I think I want in a a tight end and whether or not uh, Kyle Rudolph checks those boxes, that kind of eval method that I talked about on the podcast some time ago. Before I go, I do want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, GRIP6Belts. Father's Day is coming up, and GRIP6Belts make a really great gift. They are lightweight, comfortable, fashionable, and have no holes. grip 6 slash lock, L-O-C-K-E. You'll get a special offer. Grip6.com slash lock. And that's six the number, not S-I-X. Make sure you go check it out.
0: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast.
1: Okay, welcome back. So let's get a little bit more into the specifics. We've talked about the stats with Rudolph. We've talked about the contract with Rudolph. But I want to talk a little bit about what Rudolph offers to the football field and how the Vikings chose to use him so there's one stat that I on purpose did not mention in the last segment because I wanted to talk about it now and that was him in the red zone so Kyle Rudolph had 14 red zone targets in 2018 which is about par par for the course for him and of those 14 targets six of them were incompletions whether they be his fault or someone else's five were caught successfully three turned into touchdowns two of them were good enough gains to still be considered like good plays it was a six yard gain on second and 10 and then I believe it was a third down conversion and they happened like further back in the end zone, so there was like space for all that stuff to happen. And three of them were caught unsuccessfully. They were catches at the line of scrimmage that didn't end up gaining many yards at all. Now I'll link it all in the show notes. I've also talked about the stats uh, that, that we covered in the previous segment. All of that is on my Twitter feed and I will link those tweets in the show notes so that you can follow along with all this. But let's talk about the tale of the tape a little bit. There are a few plays that I want to highlight, and specifically play designs that happened over and over. There's a couple of themes that I really, really want to deep dive into that I think the Vikings were unwise to do, and both uh, Kevin Stefanski and John Filippo were guilty of this, which makes me kind of concerned that the Vikings aren't going to stop this, that they really do think that Kyle Rudolph is capable of things that Kyle Rudolph is just simply not good at. There's one more stat that I do kind of want to, like toss in here, and it's uh, elusive rating or elusiveness. Pro Football Focus tracks whether or not you forced missed tackles. Kyle Rudolph was arguably the worst person on the team at this, the worst skill player on the team at this. Obviously, the running backs are going to be better at this. That's kind of their whole deal. Uh, But then you look at all the wide receivers, Thielen, Diggs, Treadwell, all of them were more efficient at breaking tackles than Kyle Rudolph, the only receiver on the team that had any significant action that wasn't was Aldrich Robinson, who is now no longer on the team. So you could make an argument that Kyle Rudolph is the worst tackle breaker on the team. And that's fine. That's not supposed to be his thing, right? He's supposed to go, you know, win deep and win win in the red zone and go, you know, win before the, the ball has arrived, not afterwards. But that's not how the Vikings decided to use him. Remember those three unsuccessful completions that I talked about uh, earlier? All three of them were the same, roughly the same play design. It was a rollout, uh, a bootleg rollout to one side with Kyle Rudolph leaking from the play side uh, inline position out into the flat. And that's a whole bunch of football jargon. And if I lost you, that's okay. Here's essentially how the play goes. Kirk Cousins will start under center. He will fake a handoff and then he will roll out to one side. Kyle Rudolph will start in the classic tight end right next to the tackle position, Uh, on that side, and he will just kind of work his way along the line of scrimmage, catch a pass, and hopefully turn up the corner and gain a bunch of yards. Meanwhile, there's usually a tight end on the other side. This is typically a 12 personnel or 13 personnel play. With the addition of Irv Smith, I would expect plays like this very often, and maybe even a wide receiver also running the way that everything is going from, you know, right to left or left to right, wherever the quarterback is running and also kind of, you know, creating. Then you have everybody running the same direction, which causes the defense to have to run the same direction, and they essentially have to to choose whether or not they're going to be deep or shallow and usually it's designed to stress like one linebacker or one safety and make them choose between two players. That's usually how the play is designed and it works very well. It's a staple for everything. If you play any Madden, you know what a rollout is. But here's the issue and it's an issue both with the play design and with the quarterbacking and a little bit with Kyle Rudolph's skill set. It's that if you watch Kirk Cousins on these plays, he is not reading the field. He is not looking deep at any point. And that's really unfortunate because on each of these three plays, there is somebody breaking open over the middle of the field deep. And this is something that is a very common theme for Kirk Cousins. And it's something that has bothered me about him all all the way since, you know, he became even a, a whisper of a rumor as a possibility for the Vikings all the way through the 2018 season is that Kirk Cousins will take an easy completion instead of looking downfield. And that's not, that's not, you know, looking downfield and forcing a tight window throw and, you know, you know, not taking the risky thing that's defensible, right? If you want to just take the easy the easy yards if it's enough but for one it's not enough yards especially in these cases where Kyle Rudolph will catch the pass and fail to turn up field because a he's not faster than the slot corner or the safety that's covering him he never has been he ran a 4.840. that's fine for a tight end, but it's not going to outrun, you know, defensive backs. And that was, you know, nine years ago. So it's been a while. And two, he's the worst tackle breaker on, on the team, like the worst tackle breaking skill player on the, on the team. So he's going to get run down by a slot corner and tackled by that slot corner every single time. And so the fact that he's the first read on that play is very curious. And it's something that I really, really strongly disagree with. And both DiFilippo and Stefanski did it. Stefanski did it twice in the same game and it never worked. There was one play and it did turn into a touchdown in that same game as the week 16 game in Detroit where it was kind of the same thing where it was it was a, a rollout play where Kirk Cousins, you know, fakes a handoff and rolls out and and Kyle Rudolph starts starting from the tight end position is leaking toward the sideline. But in this one, Adam Thielen had come in, had had, you know, motioned in tight and he actually chipped the player that was responsible for for covering Kyle Rudolph. So it allowed Kyle Rudolph to get free separation. That player had absolutely no chance to ever catch up because he had just been knocked back too hard. It was a really nice chip from Adam Thielen. And and Kyle Rudolph can essentially walk into the end zone. It was a free scheme to touchdown. It doesn't have really anything to do with anybody's skill set, but that's kind of what you want from an offensive coordinator is to make it so that nobody on your team has to be good and you can still get a touchdown. And that's exactly what that play was. Those could have been like the worst players in the league. And and so long as they can play pitch and catch in the red zone without really any... Count- contest at all, and as long as you can get a decent chip on the guy, that would have been a touchdown. Great play design and credit to that, but doesn't really necessitate much of of your tight end's skill set. And that's what you need to do for Kyle Rudolph, because he doesn't have the skill set of a guy who can outrun a safety to the sideline, and he doesn't have the skill set of somebody like, say, Dalvin Cook or Mike Boone. Who could, you know, make somebody maybe miss in space. The, Kyle Rudolph in space is not a weapon for you. And yet they insisted on using him this way. A- and you know, his EPA stats on the year are very low and and unimpressive. And that's a huge reason for it is that he would catch the pass and then get tackled after two yards because he can't make anybody miss. That has never been his skill set. It's never been what he's good at. And the, the best offenses of the Vikings have not tried to use him that way. So it, it is concerning that the Vikings just kind of Locked into two more years of potentially that if they really think that that's the thing that's going to make Kyle Rudolph good. And some of this is on the quarterback. You know, Kirk Cousins will take a completion without understanding that that completion isn't going to be a successful play. He would rather take a completion for zero yards than an incompletion, which those two plays are exactly the same. And I think he has a strong preference for one over the other. And speaking of missing, you know, wide open players over the middle, there was another play that was very frequent in Kyle Rudolph's red zone targets that really didn't work very often. And I only saw the times that they tried to throw it to Kyle Rudolph and it didn't work. This play never worked when it was thrown to Kyle Rudolph. I think it was like three or four times. All of them were incompletions, but it was essentially slants in the red zone. This is a very common thing. Every team calls slants of the red zone all the time. But Kyle Rudolph struggled throughout the year to to win off of the release. You see, when you're running a slant, you kind of have to push the defensive back a little bit, especially if they're playing press on you. If they're playing like up close and up tight to you, you kind of have to put your hands into them and get them to like step back. And then you can run off to the inside. And now they're because they're recovering from being pushed. They have to recover from that, then chase you. And now you've gained separation. This is how uh, Diggs and Thielen win on these all the time. Odell Beckham is also like kind of a god at this. Kyle Rudolph struggled specifically against more physical safeties like the Malcolm Jenkinses of the world or players like Jamal Adams, guys that can, you know, kind of stand up to that punishment and and Kyle Rudolph's size and weight. And that in and of itself doesn't really bother me. It's understandable. I mean, you're going to run route after route after route, and, and you're going to get beat sometimes, and you're going to beat them sometimes, and I was looking at a very small sample of plays. So that doesn't really bother me that much. Uh, even though I kind of wish his skill set was better, I also understand that he's a reasonable route runner. What bothered me on this on these plays was really Kirk Cousins. It's that he would stare down Kyle Rudolph the same way he would stare down Kyle Rudolph on those rollout plays and not look further downfield where somebody was breaking open over the middle for a touchdown. He would instead take the, you know, the one-yard completion that was a little easier to throw. And similarly, on each of these plays, you know, Kirk Cousins would force the ball to Kyle Rudolph when he really shouldn't. Kyle Rudolph would lose on the line of scrimmage or or at the breaking point of his route, and, and receivers lose at the line of scrimmage or at their breaking point all the time, and that's when the quarterback is supposed to, you know, move on to the next guy in the progression, but Kirk Cousins wouldn't. He would just throw to Rudolph, and, if, you know, it, it wouldn't work out. It would either be a a broken up pass a near interception there was one where Rudolph actually ended up getting pushed and and stepped out of bounds it was kind of a a rare like awareness moment for him but at the same time it, it was pretty difficult he didn't have a lot of room to work with so I understand it but it's like why did you throw at him? You know, and there are on each of those plays. There's either, you know, Diggs was about to break free or Treadwell broke free on one. There was a lot of times when David Morgan was breaking free because they would always let David Morgan be in single coverage, and he's a better route runner than you think, even though he's really slow and, like, generally unheralded. And so, you know, if Kirk Cousins would just, like, sit back and survey the field a little bit more, he would see all these options. Now, you may be thinking, wait, why haven't you mentioned pressure yet at all? And there were some plays that were disrupted by pressure. A a few of those plays were specifically disrupted by pressure caused by Rashad Hill when he was starting at left tackle for a hot second in the season, if you remember that happened. And hopefully that won't be a problem anymore, at least for as long as the tackles stay healthy. I'm sure Rashad Hill will have to play some, because you know, the tackles never stay healthy, this is football. But I digress. The point is, the pressure was there sometimes but it wasn't there all of the time sometimes Kirk Cousins would throw the ball faster than he had to and he had time to survey the field you know the 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 protection was there on some of these plays and he still fired it way too fast and that just means that the timing of these plays is off and and that Kirk Cousins is not surveying the field he's following a recipe he is not playing football and that means that you're entirely relying on Kyle Rudolph to, like, beat good safeties downfield, which is something that just he just doesn't do as consistently as, like, Travis Kelsey or, you know, maybe Jordan Reed, like uh, Kirk Cousins is used to. And perhaps Irv Smith will help this. Perhaps Irv Smith will now get those yards-after-the-catch type, type routes. And he's supposed to be pretty good after the catch. Or perhaps they start giving it to, you know, in-line receivers. Line up Adam Thielen over there and have him try to run to the outside. Maybe he can outspeed a, def- a defensive back, or Diggs can. Maybe even give it to Dalvin Cook. Have him line up in weird places and and run that bootleg route, or just run the slant elsewhere, or just don't fixate on the one guy who lost his route to the safety. Those are the two things with Rudolph that, like, bothered me the most, And, and a lot of that is not his fault, or is at least, like, understandable for him to, like, lose routes sometimes. But I do think that there is, like, a a significant lack in his skill set, specifically of, like, speed and just raw athleticism. And part of this is age, and part of this is that he was more of a possession, kind of physical box-you-out type guy in the first place. But the point is, like, use him as that. There are are the three touchdowns. I mean, there was the one manufactured one, but two of the touchdowns that happened earlier in the season— uh, they were very good plays for Rudolph. They were the kind of plays you want. Let Rudolph win before the snap. There was a play that I alluded to earlier against Chicago where it was it was on the 20, so technically a red zone snap, uh, but it was third down, and Kyle Rudolph just lined up. Uh, the, it was a whole like tight set, which means all of the players were in very tight, which means the defense is in very tight. There's no reason to line somebody up out by the sideline if there's no offensive player to match you there. So that means that you can kind of make it, and you can figure out if it's man coverage too by, like, motioning and moving around. You can figure out that Kyle Rudolph is one-on-one against a linebacker, move Kyle Rudolph outside, and now the linebacker is, like, playing outside coverage like he's a corner, and he's not used to that. And Kyle Rudolph can beat him on a corner route easily, and and doesn't even really have to try that hard. Kyle Rudolph will win that matchup every single time. And that's exactly what they did on one of those plays. And they did that. They converted a third and ten, I think, on the 20-yard line, and it was a really big play in that game. So do more of that if you have Kyle Rudolph on your team for two years you can make that awesome if you're just smarter about it and you don't try to force him to be something that he has not been and never will be he's not a running back he's not an h-back he's a tight end he's a downfield player that can you know maybe box out a safety or box out a linebacker and go catch a contested ball he did that very well in 2018 and I'm focusing on just the red zone snaps which don't really give you that much of a chance to kind of like beat someone up the seam So I should mention that, like, yeah, he was very good at that. Use him doing that. Don't try to make him something that he's not. I hope that Kevin Stefanski learned this lesson or that Gary Kubiak can figure it out in his infinite experience and wisdom. But that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. Barring any more crazy news, we will return to our regularly scheduled programming of the 90-man series and all the backgrounds and everything. Uh, We'll do all those profiles tomorrow and then continue on it next week. But for now, I am going to sign off. You can find me on Twitter in the meantime at LukeBronN. NFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. This show is on any podcast app you like, but if you check it out on Himalaya, it would make me very happy. And uh, if you don't like podcast apps at all, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. Thank you all so much for listening and hanging out. And as always, skull.
0: Hey Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.